All right. Welcome back, Travis. Thanks for coming on the show again. Um, like I said last week, let's jump in with the question that I ended the show with. Uh, and that is, uh, last week you described your first experience of, of hearing about scuba diving and you thought that it was really cool to be able to breathe in this foreign space. I wanted to ask, how have you managed to cultivate kind of this sense of adventure in your life and with scuba diving uh, rather than, you know, just a, a natural sense of fear as most people have? Good question. I think part of it was I did not grow up with the movie Jaws. <laughs> um, I know <laughs> I have heard and talked to personally so many people that they say, oh, I saw Jaws and I'm never going in the water. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. If you knew how many people died from vending machines fall on them, you wouldn't be using vending machines because you're way more likely to die from a vending machine falling in than a shark. Um, and then also I think, um, good question. Like we're going psychologically deep here. My <laughs> stepdad was a pretty scary dude. Like he, he invoked fear in me. Um, and so after he and my mom divorced, like things just weren't quite so scary anymore. Like it, it felt like a, like a scary blanket or a scary cloud had lifted and I was no longer afraid of being afraid. And so it kind of opened me back up to being who I knew I was and who I could be. And um, I'm also slightly claustrophobic. Actually, I can be fairly, very claustrophobic. <laughs> Um, and I don't like to scuba dive in dark, murky water. I don't mind going at it at night, but uh, murky water, uh-uh, no. Cold water, no. It needs to be warm. I need to have good visibility, and I need to be able to see what's around. Um, and, and that's how I started, and so that's how it was no longer really scary. I also kind of feel like scuba diving, I'm so very self-contained that if anything happens underwater, we should be able to more than likely theoretically fix it underwater and, or at least, you know, bandaid it and then get to the surface and then deal with whatever we need to deal with later. But, uh, I think having, and then just practice and experience and learning little new techniques and tips and tricks made me feel more self-confident and self-reliant I think the self-reliance is, you know, I, I know I can get myself into this situation, no problem. But after a few times getting into that situation, I know I can get myself out by myself or with what we have at hand. That helps also. That term self-contained, uh, I think that term is such a great term. It's one that uh, is little used, at least in my circles. Um, can you go ahead and define that? Because obviously it carries with itself, you know, its own connotations and denotations. Um, just define that for the listener, kind of what you mean by that. And then maybe some reasons why or, or how you became self-contained. Well, I think that, uh, you know, growing up, I could always ask my mom or my grandma, hey, can you help me with this? And I remember when I was 16, we had this Italian guy working at the, at the dive shop and I'd go down and I'd visit for spring break or summer vacation. And I remember he sent me on this task, like go in the shop and get this tool and come back out. You know, it was a bit of a, an emergency situation and like, go do this. 
And I went in, I looked all over, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't find it out. I, I came back out and I said, Hey, you know, I don't know. And, and he, he kind of like snapped at me. He's like, you know, like kind of like, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but like, you got to grow up and be more self-sufficient. Like nobody's here to take care of you and nobody's going to be taking care of you. It's not in my best interest to help you. I, I need to take care of this situation. I don't have time or energy or space to help you. And I, and at first I was kind of like, Oh, but then I really realized like, yeah, dude, go back in there and find that damn wrench. And I did. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, um, you know, about six months later, we were on a yacht and all hell broke loose and it was up to me to fix it. And I was like, huh, look at that. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-contained. I can take care of myself. I used to have a lot of um, dreams and aspirations of uh, single-handedly selling. Well, back in the old days, we used to say around the world back when we had the heliocentric model as the only model available. But so I wanted to sell the planet. I wanted to sell all around the world. And I knew dang well that the radio is not going to save me. Nobody's going to swoop in and magically show up and, and deliver, you know, hugs and kisses. If anything went wrong, it was up to me in order to survive. And sure enough, later on, as I was a pilot, there were multiple times where, oh, little little red light came on and, you know, I, I can talk to, you know, ground control or I can talk to the tower, but they're not going to do anything because they're not here to do it for me. Even just last night, like, the, I was taking the laundry out. I, I don't want to do laundry. Well, the laundry is not going to do itself, Travis. You know, it's like mm -hmm. the laundry is not just going to go from the wash machine magically up onto the, the hangers. Your mom's not here to mm -hmm. do your laundry for you, Trav. You know, like, okay, I'll do the laundry. <laughs> and I did. And sure enough, it got dry, you know? <laughs> um, I, I think that is amazing. And honestly, self-containment, maybe, uh, Cool, being cool under pressure mm. as part of that mm -hmm. uh, is a skill that I think one too many people in the world don't have. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the first experiences where you did manage to remain cool under pressure? Uh, and, and, and I know it's kind of a, a side topic from just self-reliance and, and they're very related, but I, I, I feel like being cool under pressure just because when you are the owner of a business, captain of a boat, you know, something goes wrong and you have people underneath you, they look to you. So how can, I guess what I'm asking is how can our listener start to increase their coolness under pressure today? This is something I haven't really talked about. I remember one of my first like major cool under pressures was one day at the shop, at the dive shop, we had um, the beach bar was connected and they had a view of the water. And so if there was trouble, they would run next door or they'd call us and say, hey, you know, there's somebody drowning or, you know, shit's happening. Come help. Mm -hmm. And I was 18 and uh, we did not like the free divers because the free divers would go down, they'd shoot the fish and then the sharks would come in. And not that the sharks were a problem per se, but as we were scuba diving and, and I was a waterman, like I get paid to live in on and around the water. I take people underwater for a living. And if there's, mm -hmm. if you people are bringing in sharks, that's in a direct competition with and direct contrast to my income, screw you. So we did not mm -hmm. like the free divers. 
but there was a free driver that had a shallow water blackout, basically over hyperventilated before he went down and, uh, and he died. And so it was up to us to, well, we didn't know he was dead at the point at that point, it was us, up to us to go and rescue him. And I, I launched the boat with a, with a diver. The diver went down, grabbed his body, came up, put him in the boat. And I remember the boat wasn't running all that well is just Murphy's law, you know, that <laughs> like the engine's not working great. And there was like a few little, like, you know, I had to kick it and I had to hold my breath and I had to put one hand on my head and stand on my left foot and then it would run. And, mm-hmm. and I remember with this, essentially this dead 19 and I was 18, this 19 year old dead kid in the boat. And I, and I, I had to remember like, Nope, you got to stand on your left foot and you got to, you know, hold your breath and you got to turn that to the right and turn that to the left. And you have to think about the number 14 and then it runs. And so <laughs> it, it kind of was, but then I, you know, but then my mind is just naturally going, Oh my God, there's a dead person here. Like any, you know, and it was, so I had, it was such a conflicting, um, you know, it was, it was a short, you know, three minute boat ride, but man, I had so many conflicting things going on at that point. And I, it was kind of the first time that I was like, you, you need to perform under pressure because if he is going to survive, it's up to you to get the boat back to shore. Because if you don't get the boat back to shore, this kid's definitely going to be dead. Hey, adventurer, let me pause the conversation real quick to give you a little bit more background info on our guest today, Travis Rossback. I want to I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him so you understand his expertise, the experience with which he's coming at this conversation, and hopefully you understand and appreciate what he's talking about a little bit more. So Travis is the founder of the popular water bottle brand Hydroflask. He's an experienced scuba diver as well as a pilot. He also captained his own merchant marine vessel, and now he is an investor and business advisor as well as a father. And not just that, he is a fellow adventurer on this journey of life. So with that in mind, let's get back to the conversation with Travis Rossback. Uh, and, and listener, sorry, there was a, a brief <laughs> a technical issue. We've, we've solved that. And the audio might sound slightly different, but uh, hopefully it doesn't. I needed to make sure that the boat would even run, you know, and the, the engine would keep going. And, and um, yeah, it was a, it, that was a big pivotal point in my life that I realized that, oh, okay, I can perform under pressure when it is literally a life or death situation. And over the years, you know, scuba diving is very safe. It it really is. As long as you know what you're doing and you're not an idiot, you should be very fine. But shit happens and people die. People get hurt. And just being around the water, people drown just naturally. People have heart attacks just naturally. And so... I, I kind of, unfortunately, I had to kind of be, or fortunately, I don't know, but I had to kind of become accustomed at a very young age to being thrust into life or death situations. And, and then traveling internationally, I would find myself in third world bars quite often where guns are coming out, knives are being pulled and holy cow, I'm the only white guy in the place, you know? And, and so I, I don't, I guess I need to probably talk to a therapist about this. It's almost <laughs> kind of become an obs, 
like an obsessive hobby <laughs> of, of thrusting myself into adventure. And now that I have a daughter, I, I mean, I've never been a gambler. I do not like going to Vegas and wasting stupid money on stupid money. I don't like that. Um, and I don't take, un, you know, like unconscious, I don't know, there's probably a word there. I don't take <laughs> unnecessary risks, but at the same time, I, I do have a tendency to lean towards adventure. Yeah. Honestly, one of the main purposes of, of the podcast now after the rebrand is to help people add more adventure into their lives. Um, when I was younger, I remember, you know, I, I'm from Utah. Utah has a, or, or had a big boy Scouts presence um, everywhere, mostly because it was very connected with our, our church. And, and so, and it's a very churchy place. So everyone goes to boy Scouts. And I remember, you know, being there and getting the merit badge and, and having all these, I, I guess, safety briefings of like, and if you're in an avalanche, blah, 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 this can happen. And, and I, I just remember being so scared and I, I could only see these tragedies happening. Like that's it. I, I could never get myself past that to see the adventure. And, uh, lately my wife has gotten us into rock climbing and I bless her name for it because, uh, um, it is one of those things where, you know, it's scary because most people are scared of heights, but you get up on the wall after rock climbing a bunch and you sit back on the harness and you look around and you're like, wow, I'm not scared anymore. This is just fun. And, and so I'm really grateful for you sharing your perspective because I do want people to be able to get past seeing those tragedies and to, to really understand that there is adventure out there, but also to, to kind of prepare themselves for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to have a healthy respect and a healthy, a healthy fear is, mm -hmm. is very, that's what keeps us alive. Um, the ego from my yoga days, the ego is, is implanted in order to keep us alive. It's here to keep the body alive and, and moving forward. And it, sometimes it knows best and sometimes it doesn't, but the more you sit in the harness and you sit on the, on the, in the saddle, as it were, the more you realize that, Hey, wow, I just went, you know, snowshoeing and there was no avalanches. Uh, I'm home now and I didn't die today. And, um, and then when the avalanches do come, you know, you can kind of take it in a little bit more in stride and you feel a little bit more comfortable. It's just like, I don't know, like going on a date and showing up early, you know, you show up a little bit early or you go into a meeting and you show up a little bit early, you feel more comfortable with your surroundings. You're going to do better in the meeting or on the date. Um, the more time you spend rock climbing, the more comfortable you get. And so when things do happen, you know, unexpectedly, it, you know, whatever that might be, you feel more comfortable. So it's just time in the saddle. Yeah, that's so true. Um, funny enough, kind of a, another story. I, uh, in, in one of my churches that I went to, I, I was friends with this girl who ended up having epilepsy and on various occasions I'd be giving her a ride and she'd have a seizure in the car. And I was like, what do I do? Like, this is nuts you know, come to find out I get married to my wife, a different person. And my wife's brother has epilepsy. So on numerous occasions, we're out in public, he starts having a seizure. And, and rather than being like, uh, this time I'm like, okay, I can go over and, you know, at least hold the body uh, while he's seizing and, 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 you know, and, um, so 
I, I guess all that's to say to the listener that if you're afraid of something, you just got to kind of prepare for it and start doing iterations. And kind of on that note, you know, being a father who is an adventurer, uh, what sort of things do you do or have you done to kind of start helping your child move towards adventure in, in a positive way? Yeah, great question. And, and real quick back to that epilepsy thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Justin, the fact that you've gone through that now on, on multiple occasions and multiple stages of your life, that, that gives you a good, strong, or at least a stronger foundation for other things that can happen, right? So mm-hmm. it'll compound upon that and build upon that. You can take that as, as a badge of validation back to the boy scouts that's a badge like justin got the i can deal with an epileptic situation badge and that badge isn't just good for epilepsy that's good for other things as well so i i like that that's good that's really good too it expands it it compounds upon Mm -hmm. um yeah so back to my my daughter um the other night we were out um and it was completely pitch black. And she's like, dad, did you bring the flashlight? Yeah, I got it right here. She took the flashlight from me and she just goes running off. And then the batteries go dead. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well now we're out in the dark. What are you going to do now? And she's like, uh, dad, I'm like, nope, sweetheart, you got to <laughs> deal with it. You got us into this. Um, and she did, she figured out, okay, well, I can see a light. Let's go towards the light. Okay. Well, the dogs can see better in the dark than I can. So as long as I hold on to the dog's collar, the dogs, you know, I tell the dog to go home, you know, back to the crate, the dog's going to go back to the crate and going to lead us home. And sure enough, she, she worked it out. And I was talking to one of my friends and she's like, wow, I would have never <laughs> let my six-year-old do that. Like, I, I can't even imagine he'd never want to be out after, after dark, you know? <laughs> so um, I think it's just little things like just giving her the freedom to be a kid and not like, not pushing fear upon her, not blanketing her with unknown things that may happen. Um, and you know, sometimes I, I know that she's going to fall. So I, you know, I, I like back to the rock climbing, I used to rock climb a lot. So I tell her, like my thumbs are in, I'm ready to spot you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and she can go a little bit further or push herself a bit more. Cause she knows dad's there spotting her other times. I know she's going to fall. And I just, I let her fall. I watch her fall. And she gets up and she, you know, not dangerously, of course, yeah. not to get hurt. But at the same time, she has to know what it's like to fall. If I always spot her and she always gets to the top, that's not realistic because dad's not always going to be there with his thumbs in to support her and, and, and spot her. Mm-hmm. And when she does fall, why'd you fall? Well, because I just fell. No, you didn't just fall. Your right foot was on that and it should have been up two inches and to the left or it should have been down two inches and to the right. Oh yeah. Okay. So what are you going to do next time? I'm going to put my foot there instead of there. Okay. Try it again. Try it again. May or may not fall, but either way, now we're, we're building upon this. Oh, okay. I got to watch where my feet go because if my feet are in the wrong spot, I'm going to land in the dirt. (laughs) Uh, For the listener, I think it's important to point out a a few important things that you just mentioned. For one, um, the value of having someone around who knows how to push you and, and help you in those circumstances. Um, and, and two, I think this one is, is equally important, maybe more, but um, just the belief that we are more capable than we think. Like uh, I think of, you know, a couple stories, but I mean, in Idaho and whatnot, 
you can like drive a tractor, like a big old tractor when you're like 12, you know, and you can drive that down the road and whatnot. Uh, our family has a friend when he was 12. Uh, he was, you know, he's a cowboy and uh, his father, they take horse tours and stuff. And he found himself with this big old tour of people. His dad's nowhere to be seen and it's dusk. And he's like, well, I got to make camp. So he leads all these people. And then I also think of like, you know, through the millions and millions of years, there's there's tribes in South America and Africa living in the jungle. And there's six year olds there that survive, you know, like in the jungle, places that, you know, we might not go because we're scared. And so I think it's important to remember that we are probably way more capable than we capable than we think. And if we just allow ourselves the opportunity to kind of expand some of that resourcefulness, I think we'd we'd really be surprised. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That's actually um has always kind of one of those stories or things that has kind of always played a big part in, in my belief and thoughts and in my actions moving forward is the seven year itch. And, you know, that's kind of a, a bit of a cliche and it's not the same for everybody. I actually have a four to five year itch <laughs> that I'm ready to go do something else. But what I was told, and it may or may not be accurate, but that comes from children up until the age of about seven, thereabouts, they need, they need parents, they need a tribe, they need grandparents, they need people taking care of them, they need help and support. But about the age of seven, you could theoretically go out into the jungle, or you could go out into the workforce, or you could go out into the woods and survive on your own about that age. And so I've always, I don't know, there's something about that that kind of helps me sometimes move forward somehow, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm, I should be at a point where, you know what, I think I can stand on my own two feet and, and, you know, I might survive. I might not, but we'll figure it out right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, like, um, I have a buddy whose girlfriend is really afraid of being in the dark out away from other, you mm -hmm. know, life forms basically. And, and I asked her, I'm like, well, what are you afraid? Like, cause we were in the dark. I'm like, Hey, what are you afraid of? She's like, oh, well, I'm just afraid of the dark. Well, not the dark. Like the dark's not going to kill you. Like nobody's right. ever been killed from you the close dark. your eyes at night. You're not afraid exactly. of the dark. Exactly. Yeah. When you're asleep, are you scared? The, <laughs> what about in your bed? Are you, are you scared then? Right. And well, I'm afraid of, uh, you know, the unknown. Well, okay. Like what, like what would like, you know, because maybe I should be afraid, right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be scared right now. What, what are we afraid of? You know, the boogeyman. Like that was a lion that used to come in and eat people in the, in Africa, they would call it the boogeyman, but it was actually just a lion. And now that we know it's a lion, well, we can fend off the lions and now we don't have to be scared of the boogeyman anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it came down to it, there's really not a lot to be afraid of in the dark out in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere, you know, cause if it's a bad guy, well, he's going to have a flashlight and you're going to see him coming. So you're glad you're in the dark. <laughs> is it a coyote is, you know, coyotes are more scared of humans than, you know, it's just like sharks. So what are you actually really afraid of? Cause the dark's not a good answer, you know, afraid of sharks, uh, you know, like, you know, a little bit of research and probably not afraid of sharks, afraid of fish. Some people are afraid of fish. They don't want to touch fish or they're scared to, you know, interact with fish. Well, you know, you eat fish and, you know, you have fish aquariums and, you know, so yeah. Well, that makes perfect questions, sense. I think is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> it's, it's so true because in essence, we are, 
in all of fear, we're, we're afraid of the unknown and the tension. We're afraid that something might happen and we're just waiting for that thing. Um, but, and, and I find that specificity is really just, it's like the best tool for everything, you know, and even in your own life uh, and, and business, you know, if you're not specific enough, then that's where the fear can come. And that's where the ambiguity, ambiguity can come from. Um, and actually, this is one question I wanted to ask because in reading about you and learning about you, you know, and, and hearing about you on different podcasts and things, you do read a lot, you learn a lot, you know, um, I wanted to ask what, and this is kind of a, a like a, a, another switch back to business, but what business books have you read that turned out to be completely wrong? <laughs> um, well, I don't know that answer. <laughs> I know that I have, um, you know, there are, I just, that's funny. I just got a, uh, email from books. Uh, so the word books, <laughs> funny. Um, you know, I don't know, Justin, I, I feel like, um, I've, I've read a lot of Brian Tracy books. Um, he just happened to come into my life when I was about 12. I got my, I got, I inherited this bookshelf from my neighbor and, and he was one of the predominant books, authors of the books on the shelf. And, um, actually, you know, so here we go. Um, I, I remember I was reading one of his books as I was a pilot flying jets. I was flying jet charters and I shouldn't have said his name. Now I feel bad, <laughs> but okay. Let's just say there was a, an author <laughs> that I was reading his book and he gave a quote from Pat Riley, the basketball coach, uh, who had the, uh, the Chicago bulls basketball. And he, there's a quote opening up the chapter from Pat Riley. And so here I am reading the book and our next uh, guest was Pat Riley. So uh, we had to wait for Pat's wife to show up and she was late for whatever reason. And so I'm sitting there and I, I talked to Pat for a long time and I was like, Hey, Pat, you know, here's your quote. And he looks at it and he's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't say that? He's like, no, that doesn't sound like me. He's like, maybe I said it, but it's not my quote. He's like, I don't know that I ever even said it. So I reached out to the author and I was like, hey, Pat never said that. And he goes, oh, well, maybe it wasn't Pat. I don't know who said it. And I thought, well, hold on now. I've been reading your books for years. If you're wrong about that, what else are you wrong about, dude? And then sure enough, it happened again where something was said. And I was like, that's not the case. And I asked him, I called him out on him. Like, Hey dude, that's not right. Like, why would you print that? Oh, well, I don't know. I just, you know, we needed to fill up the page. I'm like, Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. That's a bad answer. So <laughs> people always love to pay attention, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there was an article in a magazine once too, that I read and I was all excited about the topic. And I'm like, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen anybody write on this topic. It's just so serendipitous that this magazine came into my life. And this is wonderful, you know, heaven sent. <laughs> and I reached out to the author. I'm like, hey, you know, I want to learn more about this. And I want to, you know, where did you get this information? And who do I contact? And, you know, because I, I kind of geek out on stuff, you know, like I want to learn. If I want to learn, I want to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. I want to learn as much as I possibly can until I don't want to learn no more. <laughs> and the author was like, I don't know. I just kind of made it up. 
I'm like, no, you can't just make up stories. I believe you. Like it's in print. I believe this. And so that was, and I was probably, I don't know, like 22, 23 at the time. But I remember thinking like, holy cow, I really have to, you know, put everything I ingest under a microscope and I need to see if it resonates with me because just because somebody who I admire or I look up to, or I even idolize, or I look at as a, as a expert in a field, doesn't mean that they're right. Or if they even know what the hell they're even talking about. <laughs> right. We're all, uh, uh, you know, we're all just making things to fill space, put out content, you know, uh, on social media, have a feed, you, you know, you have to have stuff on the feed so people can pay attention to you. And, um, sometimes it does feel like we're all just putting out fluff. Um, kind of an interesting thought that came to my mind is as far as I know, you haven't written a business book, but, uh, and hopefully you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I have good. Well, I'm not good, but good that I'm not wrong. <laughs> um, if you were to write a business book, what would some of the chapter headings be? Um, the first one that just came to mind was how to get shot at, how to survive a ballroom, <laughs> barroom brawl, how to navigate a third world country, how to negotiate with terrorists, how not to negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> I think that last one is actually, uh, if I can ask, how do you not, uh, how, how, like, what are you not supposed to say to terrorists when you're negotiating? I think the main, I mean, that's always kind of been one of my mantras and a lot of people who've known me for years, they still kind of get a kick out of it or they just love to rib me about is um, I, I, I have said multiple times, we do not negotiate with terrorists. And I, I believe that having that as a mantra early on, it really became part of my psyche. We do not, I do not negotiate with terrorists. But my goodness, I've found myself negotiating with terrorists over the years. And so as I'm getting older, I start to see the terrorists further and further out. And they look like sweet old ladies. They look like nice old <laughs> grandfatherly men. They look like, you know, beautiful girls and really cool looking surfer dudes. But at the heart of it, they're terrorists and I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to be around people who I don't want to be around. And so I think saying no is is something that i have had to learn to get better at like nope i'm not going to work with you why not well because you're a terrorist but i don't necessarily <laughs> say that out loud but my goodness i think that a lot that is so true one of the when i first started my day job uh at the company i work at i was in a sales part um and i was trying to get into the marketing side of it and um one of the things that really endeared me to the company was <clears throat> <laughs> one of the things that endeared me to the company was, uh, um, you know, on the sales calls, like uh, I, I talked to my boss. I was like, Hey, there's this guy on the phone. He sounds interested, but he's a real jerk. Like, what do I do? And my boss was like, just hang up. Like, we don't yeah. need him. Like we don't no. need vampires, you know? No, no. So. it's so true too. And, and there, the money's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And the problem with those vampires is they always come right when you need the money. You know, it's <laughs> like they just have this that's so true. to know when you're down and when you need assistance and they've got $20 and you just got a bill for $19.99. They know that. And that's mm -hmm. when they show up. 
And then they, they come in and they swoop in with this beautiful package and ha ha ha, I've got $20 for you. And <laughs> somehow they knew you needed the 1999, but there's always more to it with them. And, um, and, but they always show themselves. They'll give tales, you know, you can mm -hmm. start to sniff them out further and further out. And I think that where I've gone wrong is when I've tried to override my intuition or that little voice in the back of my head. Perfect example. I, I rented an excavator to rip out trees, uh, juniper, which are actually just a big ass weed <laughs> story, but I was, I was ripping out these junipers and I, and I get this very real stop, Travis, go get food. Nope. I'm going to go get one more. Boom. I blow up hose and like smoke and it stinks and i'm afraid it's going to blow up and <laughs> damn it travis you're supposed to listen to that and so i still am i still am having to pay to learn that lesson but if if i get a bad feeling about somebody i just i don't care who you are i'm just not going to be interested i don't care mm -hmm. what you're offering i'm not interested and but it is it's unfortunate that they always know right when you need them the most <laughs> Thing. I, I sincerely hope you do write that book. I will be on the first, uh, the, the front of that line to buy that book because that sounds really interesting. Um, Travis, we, we've come to the end of our time together, unfortunately. Uh, so I want to say, how can our audience reach out to you, support you, and see what you're up to? Travis Ross back on LinkedIn, R O S B A C H on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a beard if that helps black <laughs> my beard um, or Travis at tumalogroup.com T U M A L O G R O U P.com. Excellent. And then last but not least, we do need to give our audience some action items. So uh, I said, number one, learn about your fears, dig into what you're really afraid of, find out what it is and identify it. So that way you can actually take steps to circumnavigate it or prevent it or whatnot. Uh, what would you like to tell the audience to do? And I would say, take that one step further also, and go spend time with your fears. You know, don't necessarily have to dive in head first, but at least <laughs> dip a toe into something that you're afraid of. You know, like we don't know what we don't know until we start to know it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, something that maybe you've had your mind set on, just try doing the opposite or try doing you know, 45 degrees off that course and seeing what that's like also, but spend time with some of those things that you want to do, but you've been afraid to do and time in the saddle will be your friend. Excellent. I will get all those up in the show notes, but audience seriously reach out to Travis. Um, tell him, thank you for coming on the show. Cause I have enjoyed it so much. Um, it's it's just really nice to be able to dig into stories and and kind of sit at the feet of someone who's just really awesome. So thanks for being here, Travis. Oh, cheers. Thank you, Justin. I had a lot of fun and it's always good talking to you.